You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, thank you for joining me for episode 207 of the Blended Family Podcast. I'm glad to be back. It's actually back to school this week for a couple of our kids, and so we're trying to get everything ready for that. I know a lot of you don't have school starting until maybe September, but for us, we go back this week, and it's really exciting. We actually had a very exciting day yesterday, too. We were able to surprise my stepdaughter with a new car. Not a new car, a used car. Um, the the poor thing, it's got like 300,000 miles on it, but you know, you do what you have to do and we at least got her something and I will post the video in the Facebook group there over at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash group, just so you can see what a sweet moment it was and it was really, really exciting for her, even though uh, it is an older car. So it was really kind of fun getting to do that. So we got three kids down with cars, one to go. The last one will be getting her car this fall. So God help us all. So other than that, I've got a co-host show for you today. So stay tuned for that in a moment. And by the way, if anybody wants to co-host with me, I love doing that. I love having you all come on the show and having a chat with me. Just go to blendedfamilypodcast.com slash schedule, schedule a mini session there you'll see. And then we could just chat about it a little bit and then we'll go ahead and schedule your actual recording with me. It's a lot of fun. So I hope that a lot more of you want to participate in that. And before we get to that, I just wanted to share with you guys a financial tip. Again, I haven't done one of those in quite some time. And today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about budgeting or finance 101 and a general rule to follow when we're budgeting because now that school is getting back in session and everyone's going to start getting back into routine, we're going to look at our finances, right? Because sometimes this summer things get a little wacky. I know for us, we were spending a crazy amount of money this summer on just even food because the kids were home all summer and we were way out of budget on food. And that's one of those difficult things, right? Food shopping. It's like you want to stick to a budget, but if you run out of stuff in the house, you do have to replenish it, right? You can't have the kids starve all week. So it's really, really hard with the food shopping, but just budgeting in general, I want to give you guys a little template to follow that I think would really, really help you when it comes to that. And so here's what we teach. We teach that 10% of your money that you make should be going towards your short-term goals or your emergency fund. Now I've told you before, your emergency fund should have three to six months of income or expenses in that fund, just in case anything was to happen. But a lot of people also use that emergency fund for short-term goals, like a trip that you wanna take or something material that you wanted to buy. So 10% of your income every month should go into that fund. Then you're going to take another 10% and that should be going towards your future, your long-term goals, right? Your retirement accounts. And then 60%, right? The bulk of the money that you make is going to be going towards your living expenses. So that's going to include everything, your mortgage or your rent and your car payments and your bills, all of that. You should be able to focus where 60% of your entire income goes towards your living expenses. Then another 10% towards your debt, 
Now, some of us have more debt than others. Some of us have no debt at all. But if you do have debt, 10% of your money should be going towards that. And then last, the last 10% should be going towards donations or tithing. If, if you do that, not everybody does, right? But some people do like to do that. Now, if you add all those together, of course, you have your 100%. Don't forget when you don't have a debt, that's an extra 10% you could apply towards another area. If you're not going to donate, same thing. You can actually reallocate that money. Also, your emergency fund, once you have that emergency fund built up to three to six months, wherever your comfortable number is, well, then that's extra money too now that you don't have to keep funding that account, unless of course you want to, but you really don't need to. So that's more money now you can reallocate towards other areas. I hope that makes sense to you. And just to give you a general example to make it a little bit easier, let's say that you have $10,000 a month of income coming in to your house, whether that's between two of you or one of you, it doesn't matter. But let's say it's $10,000. So that would mean that six thousand dollars a month is supposed to go towards your living expenses and then one thousand towards your emergency fund one thousand towards your long-term or retirement goals a thousand towards your debt if it's there and then a thousand towards your donations or tithing so i hope that helps you a little bit when you're trying to budget because most people say i don't even know how to budget how am i supposed to figure that out well that should kind of give you a general guideline and of course if you need more help with that or you want to dive a little bit deeper you can always schedule a session with me and the sessions for those financial reviews are always free and it doesn't even have to be a financial review if you have just questions about anything or a specific topic that you need help with just schedule that blended family podcast.com slash schedule. And there you're going to choose the option free financial review. So I already told you about the co-hosting show. I did want to mention before I jump into it, uh, this is a very lovely person. Her name is Stacy. Well, we recorded this a while back, actually, I think back in February. That's how far behind I am, you guys. But she actually just let me know that recently she was engaged. So I just wanted to give you that little update. And Stacy, if you're listening, congratulations to you on your engagement. And listeners, please enjoy this co-hosting episode with Stacy. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Hi, everybody. You're joining me for another co-host show. And I have the lovely Stacy with me today, all the way from Pennsylvania, where it's nice and cold. How are you, Stacy? I'm good, Melissa. How are you? Good. I've been uh, talking with a lot of people that live up north lately. And uh, I know that it's really cold. And I hate bragging about it, but it's not cold here in Florida. So I don't know how everybody is doing it. I know we're in this deep freeze and uh, yes. it's certainly rough, especially with the kids. You got to bundle them up, huh? Absolutely. And there are days where we just can't go outside and people get a little stir crazy. Yeah. I, I can't remember the last time I had to buy, I mean, we do wear boots down here, but that's like about the extent of it in a light <laughs> coat. I haven't had to buy mittens or earmuffs or anything like that in a long time. Uh, so Stacey, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about your blended family? Sure. Uh, like you said, my name is Stacy. I am 35. I have been divorced for about three and a half years now. 
Um, I know when I talked to you before, I said I feel a little bit like an imposter because um, we're still in the process of blending our family. Uh, I've been with my boyfriend for two years now. Um, I have two girls who are eight and three, uh, and he has three girls who are 11, four, and two. So yes, you heard that right. That makes five girls <laughs> under the age of 11. Um, so that's a little crazy. Uh, I work as a school psychologist. Um, I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Uh, and I'm actually, I just, uh, got my acceptance last week. I'm going to be going back to school um, to get an advanced, uh, certification in behavior analysis. So, uh, you know, definitely lots of, of education going on and adding another layer to our already crazy life. Well, I always say you can never have too much education. We always need to be learning and growing. So that's wonderful. Five girls. I don't yes. even know what to say <laughs> about that because I have three girls. We have three girls and a boy, but the three girls alone give me a run for my money. And um, let's see. So we've got 10, 8, 4, 3, and 2. Yes. Oh, gosh. Well, yes. you know what? Uh, we are kind of holding our breath because none of them are teenagers yet. So uh, we're kind of waiting for that to happen and see uh, what it's going to be like when we have several of them in the teenage age range all at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to need to come back on the show in 10 yes. years. Because, Absolutely. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be really yeah. crazy there for you then. Oh my goodness. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and and I think that you're gonna need to have that education, get a better job to afford the things Honestly. that girls want, which you know, I mean the bras and the tampons and the makeup okay. and the all the girls. Oh, we haven't things. even started thinking about prom dresses and oh. and weddings and college and all that stuff yet. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, God bless you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the long distance thing because um, – before we actually started recording, I told you that I did that for a little bit at the beginning too, Sean and I, but our time was really, I think we moved in rather quickly. So probably yeah. within the first year. And so you've been at this now for two years and yeah. that's extremely difficult and you're, you're about an hour or so away. So tell yeah. me, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me what kind of challenges sure. you're facing and how are you making this work? Yeah. So, um, it's funny. We actually met on Tinder online, which, uh, you know, everyone kind of chuckles at a little bit. And we sometimes say that Tinder should have a feature that tells you how many kids the other person has before <laughs> you decide to get involved. Um, but yeah, so we met on Tinder, um, and went out a couple of times and we, we kind of got serious pretty fast, but we, we realized pretty quickly that, you know, one of the things that we were going to have to overcome was the distance, you know, just physical distance between the two of us. Um, and complicating that is the fact that we have five kids and they're involved in activities. And, um, you know, during the week, we don't have tons of time to, you know, to be together. So we, you know, we really have had a weekend relationship for the most part. Um, luckily, because I'm a school psychologist, I work a school schedule uh, and I do have the summers off, which is helpful. Um, one of the other complications to that is that my boyfriend works nights. Uh, and he works 10 days on and four days off. Um, so he only has every other weekend that he has off work. So we have to kind of schedule some things uh, creatively in that we you know, need to schedule time with the kids and, and how we schedule time for the two of us. And so the distance certainly has had an effect on that. We have worked out both of our custody agreements, actually, so that we have all of the kids at the same time, so that the weekends that we have kids, we have all five of them. 
And the weekends that we don't have kids, we don't have any of them, (laughs) which is a nice little recharge every once in a while, uh, you know, to just get some time to spend just the two of us, which I think has been helpful in having that long distance relationship is that we are able to spend some time, just the two of us, um, you know, which allows us some time to do the things we want. We can go out to eat. And when they say how many, and we say just two, uh, you know, they kind of look at us funny, but we think like, you know, most of the times we walk into restaurants and say, yes, there are seven of us. Uh, and you know how we, we wrangle all the kids being able to have that time where it's just the two of us and we can, talk about things that aren't related to the kids and we can have conversations that don't have to deal with potty training and how much technology time our kids should have and, and things like that, where we're not breaking up fights between kids. Uh, you know, it's nice to have that time. And I, I don't know how we would have survived the long distance relationship without being able to have that time. Yeah, you know, I we, totally agree. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, you know, we try to do some things just the two of us. Last summer, uh, we went to Las Vegas for a week, just the two of us, um, which was really fun because we got to do just some things that we, we don't get a chance to do when we're here with the kids. And, you know, the summer before that, we went, um, you know, to the, like a cabin in the woods and went hiking for a week, uh, you know, and we just do those things to try and get a chance to make sure that we're taking care of not only the relationship with the kids, but the relationship between the two of us, because it's, it's really important to us that we have, you know, that solid basis when it does get chaotic, when all five of the kids are around that we know that the relationship between the two of us is okay. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. Um, I know every blended family does it a little bit differently, but we always did it exactly the way you're doing it. And of course we, we only had the four kids. Um, but we found that we had to do that. And as chaotic as it was when we had them all together, we would still rather deal with that and have our other weekend for just us. Because if you don't ever have time together, then how is your relationship going to grow? You might grow as parents and you might grow as a blended right. family, but how are you going to nurture your relationship if you never have time alone? And I'll tell you, there were so many times that we did contemplate switching the weekends because it mm-hmm. got so hard with them all. But yeah. In the back of our mind, we knew that we couldn't do that because then we weren't going to have our alone weekend. Let me ask you, the weekend that you guys have without the kids, is that his off weekend or his work weekend? It is not. He is working that weekend. So, um, yeah, so it's it's time limited anyway um, because he is working nights and then, you know, he sleeps uh, some during the day. Although he does, uh, you know, try to play superhero and, and be awake most of the time that I'm here. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty good at making sure that he, he gets to bed and gets some sleep. Um, but he, you know, with the schedules the way they are, even during the week, you know, when we're not together, you know, I'm at my house and he's at his house because he works nights and then, you know, has his sleep time during the day. It's even hard to catch up you know, during the week, we text here and there or a phone call here and there if something's going on. But, um, you know, those weekends are really the time where we kind of try and say, what can we do just the two of us? And often that's, you know, this morning we went to the gym together, um, and then went out to breakfast afterwards. You know, we try and just do things that are, are just the two of us and, and, and working on, you know, we, me more than him, uh, are goal setters. <laughs> uh, and I, I try to, you know, we try to work on some things, uh, together. And so, you know, getting in shape and, you know, getting our finances in order are a couple of things that we're working on. And so we try to do some of those things when it's just the two of us and we can really focus on what we're doing. 
Wow. That is just a lot. So what are your plans moving forward? I mean, I, I know <laughs> it's been a couple of years that you're living like this. It's definitely not easy yep. for you. So no. do, are you talking about moving in together and when? Yes. Um, yeah. So that's actually one of the reasons that we're working on finances as one of our goals is that we would like to move in together. Um, both of us, when, when we got divorced, um, ended up moving in with family. So I moved in with my mom and he moved in with his aunt. Um, and so we have, uh, neither of us have a house to move into with the other one. So, um, we are working on getting a plan together for how we're going to, uh, you know, come up with something. We actually work an hour apart. He works here where he lives and I work where I live. Um, so the, the decisions on where do we move, how do we move, uh, have been, uh, you know, a little bit more difficult than maybe we thought in the beginning. Um, I have, uh, full custody of, of my two girls. They do have weekend visitation with their dad. Um, so they go with him every other weekend. Um, and their dad and I both live in the same city. So we are pretty flexible about, about how they see their dad. Um, he, uh, has every other weekend visitation with his girls. So we happen to, like I said, have that on the same weekend, but for my girls moving would mean a new school district, um, you know, would mean not being in their dance studio anymore or their Girl Scout troop. Um, and for his girls, it would mean, you know, every other weekend they have to drive to a different city, you know, somewhere they're not familiar with. So we have certainly taken it a little slower than we would like. Uh, if it were up to the two of us, we would have moved in together like two years ago. Um, but we, we are trying really hard to make sure that we do the right thing for all of the girls and make it as easy a transition as we can. Wow. Yeah, I give you credit. You have a lot on your plate there and trying to make sure that everybody's happy, which you're never going to do, right? We're never yeah, going to make happens. every kid happy <laughs> with the situation and every ex happy. And we just have to do the best that we can do for our family and our kids. And I know that that is definitely a concern for you. So I hope you guys work yeah. on that. And if you need financial help or anything like that, you know, that's the other uh, thing that we do. So we can talk about that Absolutely. later. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Okay, so you have the kids all on the same weekends. How do they get along? Being all girls so close in age, <laughs> tell me about that a little bit. That's a that's a good one. Um, the younger kids, the four, three, and two year old, get along fabulously. They love having playmates. They all do the same things. You know, they're all crazy and running around, and they want to play princesses and dance and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they do fabulously together. Um, my eight year old is really flexible. <laughs> she will play with the young kids. She will, you know, do the make believe and pretend and all that kind of stuff, but she'll also play with his oldest who, um, just turned 11, uh, earlier this week. Um, and so they do, you know, they play video games and they, they, uh, you know, play school and all that kinds of stuff and, and we'll be, you know, really into that. Um, sometimes it gets a little crazy in that there are such a big age range between the 11 and eight year old and then the younger group of girls. Um, they kind of form little cliques a mm -hmm. little bit. Like and, girls uh, do. And gets, yeah. And it gets a little crazy. And, you know, because there are three of the younger ones who need more of our attention in the first place. Uh, just because they're younger, it gets a little much for the older girls. Sometimes they feel like they don't get as much attention, uh, you know, when, when the rest of us are here. And I know, especially, um, my boyfriend's oldest, who's the 11 year old, because she's only here every other weekend to see her dad, that's really hard for her because she doesn't get that time with him outside of right. all of us together. Um, so that's, that's been a challenge and we've really been working on, you know, how do we spend time with each of the kids individually um, you know, when we only get that limited time, how do we make sure that each kid gets the time that they 
want with their particular parent and with both of us. Um, you know, everybody pretty much is, gets along pretty well for the most part, you know, ups and downs here and there. Wow. And so let me ask you during the week, I know he has his kids every other weekend, but during the week, does he get any nights with them then? Like one on a Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah. One evening a week, he has them over here after school, um, you know, to, to be here for a couple of hours after school. So he does get a little bit of time. Um, but after they do homework and get dinner and all that kinds of stuff, you know, after school until bedtime is not a very long amount of time. I know that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I remember when Sean used to, he would drive um, to Orlando, you know, during the week to have his one night of visitation. And and like you, you know, we had the weekend with everybody and it was hard for him to get the quality time. So I would I would definitely not go um, when I was with him. I wouldn't go during the week. I would tell right. and, and he would invite me and the kids would say, you know, is Melissa yeah. coming? And I would say, no, this is let, why don't you take this night during the week for your night? Because, you know, we're always right. together. And that's that's the only way we were able to combat that. But definitely feelings of jealousy and feelings yeah. of not having enough time that always came up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now. So do the kids know that you guys are talking about moving in together and have they weighed in on what they want or? Yes. So um, the younger ones don't really have a good understanding of it. They're just too little to kind of really understand what that means. Um, Although uh, every time my boyfriend comes over to my house, when he leaves, all my girls do is ask about when he's coming back. Um, And my my three year old uh, isn't a great sleeper. She's never been a great sleeper. And she often comes into my bed in the middle of the night. And after he leaves, she will say, is it okay if I sleep on his side of the bed? Um, so she, you know, they have a good understanding of, of what that's going to mean. Um, his kids, you know, the two younger ones don't really have a, a concern <laughs> just cause they're little and they don't yeah. really know. Um, his older one certainly has had some, uh, hesitation in, in moving forward with this relationship. She, um, you know, she's 11. She is getting into being a preteen and, mm-hmm. and that age. And the fact that, um, you know, that daddy might be with someone else is hard for her. Um, and adding that distance in, you know, if he moves to where I live, you know, daddy's now going to be an hour away instead of right down the street. Like he's always been. Yeah. Um, so, so that's really been a challenge. Um, and so we've, you know, we've tried to, you know, work through some of those things and, and, you know, she's at that age where she doesn't really want to talk about it. She doesn't want to tell us about why she's apprehensive about it or that, you know, tell us about what her feelings are about it. She's just kind of closed off to the idea. Um, so, you know, we're still working through some of those issues, you know, on that front, but for the most part, the younger kids, I mean, they're going to be, I'll give them an empty box and some crayons somewhere and they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, once they turn that 11, 12, 13, oh, it just becomes, well, very unique to each kid. I'll tell you that. I mean, we've had, yeah. um, we've had kids that started at a younger age and then we have a couple of them that started getting worse as they were older. So it just really depends. But, um, yeah. And I think too, especially, you know, the oldest one and then my oldest, who's eight, um, they both are starting to get into that time where, you know, they want to do things with their friends. They have birthday parties they want to go to. They want to go stay over at friends' houses. And the thought of not being, you know, in your hometown or in the, you know, where you live every other weekend is difficult because, you know, if your friend has a birthday party that weekend, you want to go to it. And then you have to decide between, am I going you know, to see my parent or am I going to this birthday party? And, and that's been difficult to, to kind of manage. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and we did it too. So I, I completely yeah. know for a while, uh, when Sean moved in over here, um, in my, he actually came to my city to live, mm-hmm. but his kids now they live with us full time. But back then they did, they lived an hour away and he, we had the same issue. So sometimes we would, because we felt bad, we would let their friends come and sleep over too. So, so right. some nights we would, I mean, we would have weekends where we'd have like, you know, eight kids here and it was just <laughs> out of control, but because we did, we felt bad because we knew they had friends and it's just such a tough thing. All right. Well, you are a, a psychologist. So tell me, does that help you with some of these changes and transitions? And does it help you with the way that you speak to the children? You know, you would think that, right? Um, it is it is difficult when it's your own life. Um, it is, you know, you. I have all this training in, um, you know, because I'm a school psychologist, I have good training in child development and how kids interact with each other and with adults and, and all these things. And it, it makes it much more difficult when it's a person you have a relationship. I think that's why part of the, you know, the ethical code of psychologists is not to work with people you have other relationships with. And I think that's part of the reason why is because it's really difficult to maintain that professional knowledge when it's a a situation where you're not the professional anymore, where you're, you know, the parent or the parent's girlfriend, or, you know, there's a a, a separate relationship going on there. I mean, I think it, it does help in a way. And that I, have some deeper understanding when, you know, when the older girls do have challenges that comes up, I do have, you know, a little bit more understanding of where those things are coming from and, you know, kind of how they're, how they're coming about. That doesn't necessarily always help me solve the problem though. Um, and I find that sometimes it's a little frustrating because I feel like maybe I should know how to solve the problem. And, and, you know, I say, you know, I have all of this education background and all of this knowledge. Why can't I figure this out? Um, and I've really had to come to the conclusion that, just because that's my job doesn't mean that that's my life. And it's okay not to have all the answers and, and not to be able to solve all the problems. Um, because for a while there, it did feel like I should have, I should be able to solve all those things and should be able to have all the answers and, and, you know, running into that wall and knowing that this is kind of uncharted territory for all of us and that I don't have all the answers and that that's okay has been eye opening a little bit. Yeah. I, oh gosh. They are mowing the lawn. Sorry about that background. Oh, noise. No my, my lawn guys come whenever they want around here. Um, <laughs> I can totally relate. You know, I, people look at me too, like, oh, you're the blended family expert. You must have it so easy. No, I have every challenge that you guys have listening mm-hmm. and more. And, you know, I might be experienced because I go through it, but it doesn't make it easier when it happens to me. And I've had people tell me that, you know, there's been times where I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I've had very close friends say to me like, well, you're the blended family girl. Like, don't you know? And, you know, it's not, it's, it's much deeper than that. It's challenging. And you're right. When it, when it comes to your own family, you have different feelings about it. It's much easier for me to tell somebody else what to do. Um, but sometimes when we have to do it, it's, it's difficult, um, because we're clouded by feelings that we don't have when we're dealing with somebody on the outside. So, so, but at least if anything, it does help with understanding maybe certain uh, behavior of children's, if anything else, because yeah. the behavior is one of the hardest things to understand, I think, of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's let's move on a little bit. I, there's a few more things that I want to talk about with you. Yeah. You have an interesting story. Um, I want to actually talk first about your ex, uh, yes. who is an alcoholic. And I want to yes. know a little bit of that story. I want to know, did that happen sure. during... During your relationship? Did it happen after? And what was yeah. that like for you? 
Yeah, so um, my ex and I started dating when we were pretty young. I was 18 and he was 19. We were I was a freshman in college. Um, we're from the same hometown. Um, and so we kind of grew up together in college when drinking was kind of the thing we did. Uh, you know, we, he was in a fraternity and I was in a, an organization and we went out to bars and went to parties and things like that. And, you know, it didn't really seem like an issue until, you know, after we graduated, um, we actually got married my first semester of graduate school. He had already graduated from college and was working. Um, and after we got married, we moved um, kind of away from our, our family and friends, we worked, uh, well, he worked and I went to grad school, uh, about two hours apart. So we kind of picked a place off a map and lived in the middle. Um, and when it was just the two of us, it became really apparent pretty early on in our marriage that something was not right. Um, you know, he would come home from work intoxicated. He, um, you know, he kept liquor in the house. I guess it never really dawned on me that that was really a problem, I guess. Um, just because it was what we had always done in, you know, in college, we always had, you know, beer in the fridge or whatever. And, and it never really dawned on me as, as really a problem. Um, we moved into our first house about a, a year and a half after we got married. Um, and we had our, our first daughter about a year later. And I think that's when it really dawned on me that, that something wasn't right. Um, you know, he actually left while I was in the hospital. Um, I am pretty sure to go to the liquor store. Uh, so that, it was definitely mm -hmm. concerned, but at the time I had a baby, you know, I, we were living, um, about two hours away from family. It was just the two of us and our baby. And, and I really felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. I couldn't just move home. I had a job and, and a baby and, and a house to take care of. And so we eventually ended up moving home. I actually got a job at home, uh, and we moved home and, um, we had a second baby five years later, uh, I had terrible, terrible morning sickness with the first baby, and it took me a long time to convince myself that I should do that again. Um, and so we had a, we had a second baby, um, and our relationship was already pretty rocky before that. Um, his drinking had gotten a lot worse. He was um, hiding it in the car. He had had switched from you know drinking beer or drinking you know stuff in the house to almost exclusively drinking vodka because he could hide it. Um, he was, uh, I would find it in his car. I would find it, um, in water bottles. I would find it in the basement. Um, and we had had several conversations on, you know, what, what needed to happen. I had asked him to go to treatment. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, and he just was not, he wasn't ready. And I, you know, for a long time, I thought maybe it was my fault. He, when he, when he was sober, he was a great guy. Um, he was was great at complimenting me and doing what I needed him to do and asking me if I needed help. Um, but when he drank, it became that he had to drink because I didn't do something or because I did something or or said something or didn't say something. And it got really confusing for me. And I turned into this person that I didn't really recognize. I became very anxious. <coughs> Excuse me. And just really on edge all the time. And I didn't like the person that I was, you know, in response to his drinking. And I, I, you know, now that I'm out of the relationship and am past it, um, I can see that certainly some of, some of my reactions were on me. Um, you know, I, I chose to, um, you know, the next morning to pretend it didn't happen and, and move on because it was easier for me at the time. Um, but even after I left, 
um, my youngest was only two months old when I left. So I had a a five-year-old and a two-month-old and moved out. And even after that, I said, you know, like I kind of drew a line in the sand and said, if you go to treatment, we can work on our relationship. Um, And he said no. So, you know, I, I, for the first time in my life, kind of stood up and said, then then this is what it is. And it was hard. It was hard to walk away from, you know, we'd been together for 14 years before that. Uh, you know, we'd been married for nine, for eight and a half years. We had two kids. Like it was hard to walk away from that relationship. But one of the things that kept going through my mind was I am setting an example for my girls that this is okay. That the way that he and I related to each other was okay. And I knew it wasn't okay. I didn't like it. My parents, you know, kept telling me it was not okay. Um, and I knew that I didn't want my girls to think that that kind of relationship was okay. So, uh, you know, once I moved out, it took, uh, probably a good year for me to really feel like, uh, and a lot of counseling in that year, uh, for me to really realize that, you know, I didn't cause it. I, I didn't have control over it. Um, and even though he would say those things that it wasn't my fault and that's hard to go through, you know, especially coming from a psychology background. Again, you would think like you would see it coming a mile away. Um, you know, knowing that I didn't see it coming and that it still took me by surprise and I didn't have all the answers was really hard. Well, I just want to commend you for having the strength because I know that that had to take tons and tons of strength for you at that point to finally put your foot down, especially with two young girls. And I agree 100 percent. You are setting an example for your daughters and you had to do that. But I definitely want to recognize that 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 is not easy, especially after so many years and especially, you know, knowing that you're going to have to raise these kids and it's tough. And of course, with with him being an alcoholic, you know, we know that he probably wasn't a big help to you at that (laughs) point in raising the kids. And so now you know that you're going to be doing a lot of things on your own. So I just want to commend you for that. Um, Thanks. It's, it's funny because I, you know, even now, and I, you know, we've been divorced for three and a half years. Even now I think back and think, I can't believe I did that. Like I, I am, I'm shocked at myself sometimes that I, that I actually made that decision because in the thick of it, I remember thinking, you know, I remember very vividly standing in my kitchen thinking someday I won't put up with this anymore. Someday I will say enough is enough. And thinking back now that that actually happened, sometimes I can't even believe that that was me. Yeah, it's amazing what we will put up with. And and I agree. I have similar experiences when I have a choice to make in my life, you know, no matter what the choice is or the decision is, I always feel like when you know, you know, and like uh-huh. that happened to you, it's like you wonder like, am I ready to do this? Am I ready to leave? How long am I going to put up with this? And one day you just have that knowing inside of you that you know you need to do what you need to do no matter how hard it is. And uh, it sounds like you had that moment yourself. Tell me, being in that situation, when you left finally and Mm -hmm. you were ready to eventually move on, I know you had some counseling and you had to work on yourself for a while, but did you bring any of that baggage over into your new relationship, the fears and maybe um, just, you know, some of those emotions that we carry with us? Yeah, unfortunately, tons of it came with me. (laughs) So how, so tell me about that a little bit, because I, and I'm asking, because I know a lot of people, we, we're all in blended families and we all have baggage. We all have exes that we've had our own unique situation with. And it feels like we carry that along with us to the next relationship instead of learning how to get rid of it before that. So tell me about your story a little bit there. 
Yeah. So, um, probably for the first, uh, like year we were together. Um, well at first it's funny because my boyfriend now he very rarely drinks. It's just not something that we do. He's a a law enforcement officer. So he, you know, is, is sober most of the time. And so he, you know, the two of us, we just, that wasn't something that we did. Um, he had a good understanding. Um, you know, I had talked to him about my previous relationship and, and, you know, the things I went through and he had a good understanding that that was, something that I definitely needed time to work on. And so, you know, we, I very clearly remember the first time that we drank and literally it was just the two of us. We were at home. We didn't even drink out anywhere. Um, and I had like a a major panic attack. I, um, you know, was hyperventilating and my heart was pounding and, and it was really, really terrible. And I know that, you know, and I still go to counseling now and I talk about this to my counselor and, and she kind of equates it to like a PTSD kind of thing in that, you know, just that trigger is enough for me to think, you know, what if this relationship goes south? What if this turns out the same way? I didn't see it coming last time. What if I don't see it coming this time? And that's been really difficult um, for me to handle. Luckily, it's not a huge deal because we just don't drink very often. And I've gotten much better at it. Um, we can have, you know, a, a drink out at dinner or, or you know, when the two of us are together, um, you know, can have a few drinks here and there. But, you know, for the first good year or so, it took a long time um, you know, for us to be able to, to do that. And he's been incredibly patient with me, which is, is super helpful. Um, and I, I'm, you know, just super lucky that he has done that. Um, but it's been hard for me to get over that in that I, because it took so long for me to realize that I didn't cause it the first time. Um, you know, I, I still have that little fear in the back of my head that, you know, if it happens again, then it has to be me. So, uh, you know, it definitely took me a while to get over that. Wow. Well, it's, it's amazing too, how we put things on ourselves that was not your fault at all. And all addicts will do that. They, they never want to take the responsibility (laughs) for what they're doing. So of course they have to point it out to you and this is why I drink, or this is why I do drugs. And I'm glad that you finally figured out that it had nothing at all to do with you. It helped too that, um, shortly after my ex and I split up, uh, about three or four months later, he moved his new girlfriend into our house. Um, and the drinking has not gotten any better. So evidently it wasn't me because she's not doing anything about it either. So, wow. I was going to ask you that. So he's not doing any better. What is she? Well, a couple of questions. I want to yeah. know how does she feel about it? His fiance and how, how is it when the kids go over there? Because, I'm sure that worries you and, and you may not be in a position yet to have supervised visitation. I don't know really how out of control he is with his drinking, but I'm sure that that's got to be on your mind when the kids go. Yeah. So, um, I am kind of lucky in the fact that his fiance, I have actually known her my entire life. Our families are good friends. I've known her since I was little. Uh, she and I went to school together. We were good friends in high school. Um, so I've known her and her family my whole life. Um, so I have ultimate trust in her and her family. I, when the girls are around her and her family, I have no worries about them at all, which is super, I'm super thankful for that. When I first moved out, um, I didn't let the girls go with him at all. Uh, he came to my house, to my mom's house, um, to see the girls when, you know, when he was going to come see them, he came to me to see them because I did not let him have the girls at all. Um, and actually shortly before, shortly after I moved out, uh, before we even filed for divorce, I went and filed a custody agreement 
um, that said that I had primary custody, that he had visitation when it was agreeable between the two of us. And I put a clause in the custody agreement um, that says that he is not to be drinking when the girls are, are in his custody. Once he and his fiance started dating um, and, you know, we kind of came to an agreement, um, she is the only one who's allowed to drive when they have the girls. So she picks them up from me. She drops them off to me. Um, anytime they're in the car, um, she is the one to be driving. Now I don't have ultimate control over that when they're there for the weekend and they go out to, you know, go grocery shopping or do whatever. I don't know that she's the one driving, but you know, that's the agreement that we have. Um, because it does make me really nervous. And he knows that. And when he is sober, he agrees to that. And he says, you know, I understand where you're coming from and why you're doing that. And, and I know in, you know, in my heart that he loves our girls and he wants good things for them. And, and he doesn't want to be, um, you know, a, a problem, but when he drinks, he kind of gets this, you know, this superhuman ego and mm-hmm. nothing can go wrong and he can do whatever, Uh, And that's the part that worries me is that his judgment is not great when he's drinking. And so I have had several conversations with his fiance about, you know, what is and isn't acceptable as far as, you know, when they have the girls. I am incredibly thankful that she's there um, and my girls love her. Uh, and she loves my girls. Um, and they actually, um, my ex and his fiance now have a baby. They had a little boy about four months ago, uh, and my girls just adore their little brother. So, um, you know, I'm really, really thankful that, that my girls have that extra support, but it's definitely an ongoing, an ongoing battle. It's, um, you know, when they do come home, even when she's driving, you know, he walks them to the front door and I can tell that he's been drinking, you know, it's that, that question of how much attention do I draw to it? You know, I don't want my girls to think that their dad's a bad person. I don't want them to, um, you know, have any negative feelings towards that, but especially my oldest is starting to ask some questions. She's starting to ask about, you know, why daddy talks funny sometimes, or, um, you know, why daddy falls asleep on the couch so early. And so it's been really difficult navigating that, area in that I'm, you know, I'm stuck in a position where I'm not sure how much to tell her. I'm not sure that she's ready to understand alcoholism and its effects and and everything like that. And I certainly don't want to speak badly about her dad. Um, you know, I want her to have a relationship with her dad, but I also want her to know that, you know, I think about how much I felt like it was my fault for years. I don't want her to ever feel like that. I don't want her to ever feel like, like it's her fault that things, you know, are happening and things like that. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a balance between how much do I tell her and how much do I wait until she asks questions to me? Yeah. And, and she is still really young, but I certainly don't believe in not telling our kids anything or waiting until they're 18 right. to tell them some things. And you sound like, You speak very well and you sound like you're doing a good job. So all I would say is when you do talk to her about things, you know, just keep it age appropriate and tell her the truth. But you can, you know, you can tell the truth about a parent without bad mouthing them, without being very negative or saying anything in a bad tone. We can just be honest. And, and, you know, at the same time, I always tell parents this when, when there's an alcoholic or an addict in the family, it, it is also good for them to know eventually because 
let's, I mean, let's face it, it's hereditary, right? And so yeah. they need to know that that might be something that they need to be careful about later on in life, that maybe she's not a person that could drink like other kids her age right. when she gets older, because she has to be more careful about that and understand mm-hmm. it. And also understanding that, hey, my, my parents struggles with this. I need to be extra careful and make sure that I don't too. Uh, yeah. And I really hope that, you know, it's like you said, people don't change until they're ready to change. They don't get help until they're ready. And I hope that right. he certainly at some point gets the help before it's too late, but, you know, so that yeah. he can still uh, enjoy some yeah. of the years with the, with the girls. And, and, yeah. and he and son. I have had, have had very frank conversations about that. You know, I, especially now that I'm not in the situation, I find that I can talk to him about it a little easier because I don't have to worry about like dealing with him the next day. Um, so I've had several conversations with him where there have been periods of time where he has not looked well. He has, you know, a pallor to his, his skin tone. He, you know, it just looks like he's not well. He gets, you know, the red cheeks and and kind of the telltale signs of alcoholism. And I have, I have said outright to him before, you know, what you want to do on your time is fine, but I don't want to be the one who has to explain to our kids why you're not here anymore. Yeah. You know, because that's, what's going to happen is you're going to get, you know, you're going to, do this and you're going to do whatever you're going to do and that's fine, but you're not going to be the one that has to explain why they don't get to see their dad anymore. You know, that's, that's going to be left to me and to his fiance because they now have a child together too. Um, you know, that's going to be left to us to explain to them why you, you know, why you chose this over your kids. And, and I understand, you know, the, the addiction and the disease of alcoholism. And I, you know, I've done lots of you know, looking on my own part, I went to Al-Anon for a long time and, and have done, you know, all of those things, but it's really hard for me, especially when the kids are involved, um, you know, to see, I get really frustrated when I think, you know, he only has them for 48 hours. Why can't he, why can't he manage to stay sober for those 48 hours? And that's been something that I've had to work through. Um, and just, you know, really kind of fall back on those, those mottos that I can't control it. It's something that, that I can't control and I need to do what I can to make sure that my kids are safe uh, and control that part, but I can't control what he does. No, no. And that is something that I tell everybody. And that's something that we all need to keep in mind. We can't control our exes. We can't, Mm -hmm. we can't even control our kids a lot of the time as soon as they get to a certain age. So all that we can control is how we react to the situation and, and what can we do? And I'm really glad that you're able to communicate uh, with his fiance, because that's got to be extremely helpful. At least she's a little bit more on your page and, um, you know, I don't know how long she'll put up with it, but she has to go through her own journey. And I'm glad yeah. that she's there right now because at least uh, that makes us all feel better that that you trust Absolutely. her and that she's there with the girls. Wow. Well, uh, you sound like just such an amazing mom for everything that you've had to go through. And I know we are kind of approaching the end of our time, but I always ask people the same questions towards the end here. And I have that. I want to do the same with you yeah. if that's okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, and wonderful, wonderful chat, by the way, you very, insightful. Oh, thanks. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, I do want to point out too, for the listeners, before we get to the questions is that Stacy is in our private Facebook group, which is at blendedfamilypodcast.com slash group. And when I do post this show, I will tag her there. So if anybody else has experiences of having an ex who is an alcoholic or an addict, and you know, this is somebody that you can contact for support, somebody who's Definitely. been through it, somebody who understands 
understands what you're going through. And that's one of the reasons I'm really enjoying and doing these co-hosting shows because I think it's really important that we develop a network of people that understand what we're going through, that might have different ideas about things and that we can turn to and lean on for help. So uh, Stacey, I do appreciate you being very vulnerable and honest for this talk. So thank you for that. Okay, question number one, what is the thing that you love most about your blended family? You know, I, I laughed when I read this question because I, I said to my boyfriend, I said, what am I supposed to say? Like, I don't, I love everything about it, even though it drives me crazy. And, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, when I say to people, we have five girls that, you know, everyone has that same reaction, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but really, I, I actually enjoy that we have those five girls because, you know, even though we have to worry about all of the, you know, prom and weddings and hair and makeup and all that stuff, they have formed these like little relationships between themselves that is really incredible to see, especially the younger kids. I mean, you know, they don't, they don't really get the blended family kind of thing, but having these built-in playmates, um, they love it and they can't wait until the other kids come over. And my kids ask all the time, you know, when are we going to his house or when is he coming to our house? And, and, you know, just working on, on building those relationships between them, that I think is my favorite part. Yeah, it sounds like fun too. I know it's not always fun, but uh, watching <laughs> watching yeah. them get along and and really flourish together is always a fun thing. Okay. Yeah. Question number two: What is the biggest challenge right now in your blended family? Um, well, two I think one um, is obviously the distance. The distance has been a challenge since we started, and and kind of figuring out how to work around it and how to make that distance go away. You know, how can we move on to the next step um, is a big challenge for us. But the second is that um, I have always been really independent. I want to do things for myself. I want to, you know, prove to everyone that I can do the things for myself. And that kind of uh, gets on my boyfriend's nerves a little bit sometimes because I don't let him help me with very many things. Uh, and when he says, you know, like, let me do this, it's hard for me to give up control sometimes. So it's been a challenge. Um, you know, when I was in, in my marriage and in that relationship, I did a lot of those things because I had to, I was the only one who was functional enough to do a lot of those things. So I just got into the habit of, I take care of everything. I, you know, I am the one who schedules everything. I'm the one who takes care of everything. And, and it got to, you know, I feel like I should be able to do all those things. And the fact that I now have a partner who is willing to do some of those things with me and wants to do those things, um, and take some of the things off my plate, that's actually been a big challenge for me. Yeah. And I think I've spoken about it here too on the show. I've had the same exact problem because when I had first gotten divorced, it, it was the same thing. I had to learn how to take care of myself and the fear of ever losing that control again, the fear of ever being yeah. in a position where I can't handle myself again is it's terrifying. So I've become mm -hmm. a complete control freak too in my own home to the point where my husband's like, baby, tell me what I, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. And I'm like, nothing. I have to do everything myself. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I'm actually trying, w w listen, when I learn how to do it, I'll tell you and I'll tell That'd everybody else, but I haven't quite figured out how to get out of my own way, but I'm trying, I'm trying. It's, you know, I try to remind myself that not everything needs to be perfect and that I'm not the only one that could do anything around here. And I actually, a big step for me is I've had my, my mother-in-law who lives here completely take mm -hmm. over the cooking in the house. And 
you know, because I just can't, I can't handle it. It's just too much on my plate having to worry about that every night, but something, so that's, that's a big thing, obviously, but you know, start with just little small things that you could give up the control on just little tiny things that you won't freak out about. And then eventually you'll hopefully move on to, to bigger things. Okay. Question number three, if you knew then what you know now, what is one thing you would have done differently when you first blended? Um, well, I think one of the things that, you know, that we're working on now that I wish we would have tackled a while ago, um, you know, like I said before, is our finances. We both came from, um, you know, kind of drawn out divorces, um, and both which had some financial baggage attached with it. So, you know, we were both kind of in a place where, you know, we were on our own, you know, I have my kids, you know, that, I, that I'm worrying about. And, you know, when his kids come over and all five and they're all, you know, we're bored and we want to go do this and we want to go do that. Um, you know, I think now we're trying to tackle that because we're looking forward to what are we doing next step? I wish we would have kind of tackled that from the beginning, um, and said, you know, what talked about what our future plans were as far as financial plans and, and how do we work on that? Um, you know, separately, but both working in the same direction. Yeah. And, and the fact is, it's never too late. So um, you can definitely sit down and have a financial plan before you move in together. And that'll be really helpful. Uh, Number four, what is something you know, you're doing right in your blended family, something that you're proud of? Um, I think, you know, both my boyfriend and I came from relationships, like I talked about earlier, where we both felt like we weren't modeling a good relationship for our kids. Um, you know, me and my relationship and, and he, from his previous marriage, um, we both, part of the reason that we both left those relationships was because we felt like we weren't modeling what a good relationship was like and what our kids, what our girls should expect out of a relationship. So I think we do a really good job at doing that and making sure that when we are together, you know, we do a good job at checks and balances. And when one of us is getting frustrated, the other one kind of tries to take over and, and making sure that we model good communication between the two of us. And, and just that good, this is what a relationship should look like. And this is what we want for you when you are old enough to be in a relationship. Um, and that you don't have to accept less than that, that, you know, that we are work really hard at making sure that when we're in front of our kids, that we're modeling those things and being a good example of what a good relationship is. And that's certainly not to say that we don't have arguments because we, we do We're uh, especially on the political spectrum, we're kind of on separate ends. So, um, you know, we have, have our own disagreements, but we, we try really hard to make sure that we stand as a united front with our, our kids. Um, and that we model what a good relationship looks like because they don't have that, you know, in, in the other sides of their families. Yeah. And the goal, of course, is never to not have an argument there. The goal is to show the kids that we can have a disagreement and we don't have to yell and scream and that Mm -hmm. we can work it out and we can still love each other despite that. I think that's the real message that we try to get along to the kids because it's unrealistic to say, like, we're never going to fight and we're never going to have a disagreement. It's it's how they see us handle things. um, And I think that's really important. So last question, number five, if you had one piece of advice to offer the rest of the listeners today, what would it be? Um, I think for me, you know, especially coming from the relationships that we came from, the biggest piece of, of advice that I've had to overcome and that I think other people will, 
will too, is that there are going to be things, you know, in the process of, of blending families and, and, you know, working together, there are going to be things that you can't change. You know, I can't change my ex's behavior. He can't change his ex's behavior. We can't change things that happened in the past. You know, we can't change what goes on at the other parent's house. Um, but we have to find a way to deal with those things together for the better interest of the kids and for our relationship. You know, we have to find a way to, when one of us is frustrated with something that's going on outside to work together to kind of, you know, even though we can't change what's going on to kind of resolve it between the two of us and, you know, come up with a way for, for us and for our relationship to grow and, you know, to nurture that relationship with the kids. Um, because that's really what it's about. You know, when we think about, being together and blending our families and, and doing that stuff. It's really about us and the kids and we can't change anything outside of that. Um, so we really, you know, had to come to that conclusion that it's a waste of energy and a waste of time to try to control those other things. And the only things we can control are what's right in front of us. That is so true and such a great piece of advice. Do not focus on what you can't change because it drains a lot of your energy and there's really nothing you can do about that stuff. So right. that's wonderful advice. Stacy. it has been a true pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so oh, much for you. being here. Um, sure. And listeners, I just want to remind you, just contact Stacy if you like what she has to say and you think maybe she can help you out with any of that. And especially if you live in her area, she lives in Pennsylvania about an hour we're north of Pittsburgh. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's my dream is to have little groups of people that can meet different places that that really meet each other from our show. So let's let's hope that that continues. Thank you so much, Stacey. And uh, for Thanks. the listeners, we'll be back next week with another show. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.